Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Good morning. Glad you are here. Glad you are here. I, I love that we've been singing the gospel uh, all morning. And, uh, you know, because we are in Christ, uh, we, because we are in Christ, uh, and those of you who are in Christ, you've trusted in his person and work, what he did when he di- accomplished when he died on the cross and rose from the dead uh, for your salvation, for your hope in this life and, and the next. Because we have trusted Christ, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And nothing you can do to make him love you less. You are fully accepted by God the Father in Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus uh, atoned for our sin on the cross after living a perfect sinless life, uh, that God made him to be sin. He took our sin. It treated him as if and made us as if we were the righteousness of God in Christ. That means I didn't become completely righteous. I'm still, you know, I and about most of all you know uh, a lot of my uh, faults and sins. But, but he treated Jesus like Jesus was us. And he treats us like we were Jesus. Now, there's a reason that we say the zeal of the Lord consumes us because that is out, that's nuts, that's, that's crazy good. And uh, it's almost too good to believe except it's true, it's true. And we're here to celebrate that. And, you know, because we have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, he makes it possible for you and me to be reconciled to each other. And so... Uh, the work of Jesus on the cross is gospel. It's not just the beginning of a life with God. It, it's, the a, it's not just the beginning. It's the beginning and the end. It's not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel gives us the power to be uh, at peace with those with whom we've had conflict. Now, we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about this, uh, and we're going to talk about it primarily from the aspect of interpersonal conflict, you know, where even though, yes, our country needs it and there are groups that are, I mean, we're all divided and that kind of thing, but it begins by individuals uh, making peace with one another. And so, uh, how many how many of you are in the middle of some kind of uh, interpersonal conflict right now? And I'll admit it. Yeah, yeah. Do do you know what happens when a pastor starts working on a particular series or a truth in the scriptures? Do you know what happens to him? God puts him in class ahead of time. I have made more apologies this week than any seven day period I, that I can re- remember, and I ne- and I owned them. I needed them, and some of you are here and you know it because it was to you that I had to come. Say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Will you forgive me? And and uh, so far, everybody graciously did. So uh, this is the, you know God he puts us in class, he puts us in lab to uh, help us work out these. Uh, things you know it may be at home, it may be at work, it may be where you play, but we all have personal conflicts resulting in broke bruised or broken relationships, lost friendships, lost customers, lost brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, lost joy, and much much sorrow and sadness in their in their place. We need help don 't we 
I mean, help me. We need help, don't we? We really do. We really do. And so uh, uh, I do, you do. And so today I'm beginning a a six-week series from God's Word on what He has to say uh, about how to resolve the conflict in our life. Our goal is to reduce the level of conflict in our life and uh, restore, uh, raise the level of joy and peace in our lives, to ease your burden and ease the burdens of others. And hey... Um, to make life a little better because, you know, that the philosopher and, and, and theologian Keith Moore once said to himself in the mirror, you know, better's better. Let's just get a little better. And so we want life to be better. So let's get to work. Take your note sheet. I, I'm going to be taking you through a lot of different passages of Scripture today, so I don't have a particular passage that we're going to unpack. And so I want you to be able to jot down these references uh, very quickly so that you can go back and meditate on them and observe them and study them uh, in proper context on, on your own. Now, People like you and me in our society, and, and I'm betting that it's in, this may be true worldwide in all cultures, but I've only lived in this one. Uh, we tend to respond to personal conflict uh, in only one of two ways. We usually pick one or the other, and it's this. It's either attack or abandon. It's either fight or flight. It's either run them over or run away. It's either peace breaking or peace faking. We're good at peace faking in the deep south where I'm from. Oh, everything's fine, fine, just fine. Thank you. Yeah, we're okay. No, we're not. And so uh, you never know how you stand with us southerners. I'm sorry. But um, it's true. It's true. Now, these are are very common responses, either attack or abandon, either run them over or run away, either peace breaking or peace faking. Uh, They are the most common responses. the only problem with these, there's only one problem with these. They don't work. That's the only problem. They do not work. They are both bad, destructive, and maybe from the scriptures, God would even say sinful behaviors that, uh, in which we find ourselves and, and that do not help with conflict. In fact, they make matters much worse. They make life much worse. I have been guilty of both. Most likely you have too at one time or another. At least make me feel good. Raise your hand and say, yes, I have. Okay, good. I'm going to hang out with this rough crowd over here. <laughs> but, you know, with the, uh, so I'm guilty of both. So let me explain further today. Let me, let me illustrate uh, and start with some of the escape responses. You get in conflict with a spouse or a son or a daughter or a mom, a dad, a, a neighbor, someone in your homeowner's association, somebody at work, whatever. Yep. Homeowners Association. (laughs) Let's see. Make a note to me, John, that we need to insert an additional sermon just for homeowners associations. And so, uh, and so, let me talk about the peace faking. Uh, are the runaway responses. People use these responses when they're actually more interested in avoiding conflict rather than resolving it. Now, some I, I get somebody criticized me one time. Says you just don't like conflict, do you? And I said, Well, no. You know, have you ever met somebody who loved conflict? There are therapists for them that you're not supposed to like it. Uh, that's not the point. But there there are those who run away. They would rather avoid than resolve the conflict. Uh, here are just a few examples. The, the, the most common one is to, 
is denial. That's just pretending that the conflict doesn't exist or refusing to do what should be done to resolve it uh, properly. Or flight, as I've said, run away from it. Now, this usually means the, the ending of a friendship, the quitting of a job, the filing for divorce, or the changing of churches. You know, when it comes to churches, it reminded me of a story my dad told me. You know, he ran away, told, lied about his age, joined the Navy when World War II broke out, and got on a train from Piedmont, Alabama, went to San Diego to... Boot camp, got on a ship and was in the whole Pacific campaign to, to, to retake the war. And he said as they were journeying across the Pacific, they came across one of these little uncharted islands and saw a little smoke going up. And they stopped and they sent a party in and there was, a, there was an American sailor there. He'd been there for years. Uh, he'd only got been a bit, he'd lost classic Robinson, modern-day Robinson Crusoe. And he was so excited when the rescue crew came um, the officer with the crew that went, went ashore to greet him noticed that there were three really finely developed huts on the beach. He said, well, they said, well, what's this? He said, well, this is, my, this is the house I've been living in. And he said, well, what's this hut next to it? He said, well, that's my church where I worship. And he said, well, what's that third one? He said, oh, that's that church I used to go to. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it means aban- <laughs> uh, you know, abandoning... <laughs> Beth, you can quote that one tomorrow. Uh, uh, Abandoning uh, a friendship, uh, a a fellowship, a relationship rather than preserving it. Now, here's some, let's talk about peace breaking or the attack mode when, when we have conflict. This is used by people who are usually more interested in winning than preserving a relationship. Here are a few examples. There's, there's assault, usually verbal assault of some kind. They, they seek to overcome the person in, with which there's conflict uh, using forms of force or intimidation, like verbal attacks. Some of you uh, are like verbal arsenals. And people avoid you because don't, don't get in conflict with them because they will run you over verbally. Now, it takes... Uh, sometimes it's gossip, sometimes it's slander also. Uh, today it's very common to see bullying on social media. It's just another form of, uh, of this. It always makes conflict worse. Uh, there, another example is litigation. There are lawsuits. Uh, and it, but litigation is in our, co- our justice system is not designed to bring relational peacemaking. It's not. It's designed to solve, resolve legal issues, but they leave everyone with greater levels of hatred and bitterness and broken and bruised relationships. So just understand that. And then the most radical example of the attack mode is murder. And we see that, that sometimes. That tends to end the relationship. Just... Yeah, and so in case you were wondering, so attack, escape and attack responses, let me say, these are not God's ways to resolve conflict, to make, uh, to, to do so. Peace faking and peace breaking are sinful. They are destructive uh, responses. We need another way. So, but there's, what other way is there? God, through his gospel, gives a third way. Write this down. It is not peace faking, not peace breaking, but what? Peacemaking. Peacemaking. Jesus said in the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. So we're going to spend today and then the five Sundays to follow talking about what it looks like 
empowered by God's Holy Spirit to practice peacemaking in uh, in our, our lives. Here, this is God's way. We can resolve personal conflict in our lives if we will have to intentionally intentionally reject peace breaking or peace faking and intentionally pursue and embrace a lifestyle of peace making. Peacemaking. Now, God is a God of peace. God is a God of peace. Peace is a part of God's character. It's part of who he is. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, take a look on the screen. God is our source of peace. He is not only a God of peace, he is our source of peace. Because of the gospel, because of the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he is our peace. He gives us peace with God and peace with ourselves and enables us to have peace with other human uh, beings. And he repeatedly commands his people. Let me just speak to those of you who are already Christians today. We are commanded by him to pursue peace. Look at this, Psalm 34, verse 14. Seek peace and pursue it. Read that out loud with me again. Ready? Here we go. Seek peace and pursue it. That's not, a, that's not passive, is it? Now, we tend to think peacemakers are these nice little passive people. No, 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 no. They are great big grown-up warriors for God who are, are proactive. They pursue peace, pursue it. And, and God promises to bless us and bless those who do. In Psalm 37, verse 37, the Bible says this, Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future. God choose, uh, will bless them. And so... Uh, As people who have been reconciled to God the Father through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in Him, we are to respond to interpersonal conflict in radically different ways from the culture. Uh, In ways that are counterintuitive, actually, to our own nature apart from Christ. Now, we also believe, and so rather than just believing there's a better way, we also believe that Interpersonal conflict provides some opportunities from God for us. And here they are, opportunities to glorify Him, opportunities to serve other people, and opportunities to grow to be like Jesus. So the first step, we're going to deal on the first step today of about six, really five big ones. We'll take the last two weeks to deal with the final step. But um, uh, we're going to choose. Uh, look at the first one today. Jot this down. Uh, the first step in working it out to resolve personal conflict is to choose to glorify God. When interpersonal conflict arises in the moment, we intentionally choose to glorify God. Now, I want to unpack that with you just a little bit. And so we do this instead of something else. We do this instead of focusing on our own desires, which is what I tend to do, and then secondarily, rather than dwelling on what we think other people may do to us in the conflict. Now, that's where we go naturally. But we choose, rather than focusing on our own feelings and our own desires and dwelling on what others may do to us, we make a clear, intentional, spirit-empowered choice to glorify God. Uh, here's your passage. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, says this, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God, including how we react in personal conflict. So peacemaking is motivated by love for Christ because of his love for us and to, and, and to glorify and honor God. This focus not only shows our love for God, 
but it also protects you and me from impulsive, self-centered decisions that make things worse. Because you see, when I, you know, the prevailing mantra of our culture today from all of our poets in the culture, whether they are movie makers, filmmakers, songwriters, um, uh, actor, movies, books, every authors, it's all this, follow your heart, right? What? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Write this down. Don't. That's a really bad idea. Follow Jesus. Follow your heart. The Bible said, Jesus said, your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Not even you. And so it, this guards us when we choose God's way in the midst of this conflict. It guards us from these impulsive uh, things that come from following our feelings that make matters worse. Now, I have found the best way to counter my tendency to go with my gut, follow my heart, follow my feelings is to uh, get my eyes off myself and focus on Jesus. And I have to intentionally do so. The way to do that is by, I say to myself, I choose to glorify God. And then I say to him, Lord Jesus, I choose to glorify you in this conflict. I don't feel like it. That's not my natural tendency but I am living by faith. I'm choosing. I think your ways are best. So how do we do this? Three ways. Ready? Jot these down. First of all, how do I glorify God when conflict pops up in my life? First, by trusting Christ. This is an act of trust. This is an act of faith that he knows what he's doing. We depend on his wisdom and power and love rather than our own thinking and our own feelings. We depend on His wisdom from His Word, the power of His Holy Spirit indwelling us, uh, and His great love toward us and toward uh, other people. Look at this. Psalm 32 verse 10 says this, The one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Trust in the Lord, He'll fill you uh, with His love. The more you trust in Jesus, the easier it is to do His will. And so... He is, you, you, many of you, many of you begin to learn uh, the two big reasons that you can trust God and His will and His ways in all things, including personal conflict, when someone first taught you to pray. I dare say that many of you, the very first prayer you learned to pray was the blessing at the meal. And say it with me if you know it. God is, and God is, there you go. Trust Him. That's why you can trust Him. You start, he, he arranged in our culture for you to begin to learn about his nature when you were a preschooler. He is great and he is good. He is great. That means he is so, you can trust him because he is great. He is majestic. He is all-powerful. Uh, the, the theological term in the scripture is he is sovereign. He is the king of the world. He's the ultimate authority. It means he is supreme. It means he is unlimited. It means he is totally independent of any other influence. It means he is in charge. It means he has all power and all knowledge. It's, his rule extends over all things, and yet at the same time, he watches over all other events as small as a sparrow falling from a tree, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He has ultimate charge of what happens in this world, and yet he takes personal interest in you and knows the numbers of the hairs on your head, he says. Uh, he knows the smallest details of our lives. How can this possibly be? 
Well, it's too big to grasp. In fact, no less a great man of God, King David, couldn't get his head around it. He said in Psalm 139, verse 6, look at it. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. God is so, there's many things about God you can know for certain and you can experience. But God sometimes says, you know, they're just part of me. I'm way beyond you. I'm just way too big. I'm way too great. I'm way too complex. I'm way too intelligent. And uh, it's just going to be beyond you. So, But I am great. He is great. And so in conflict, whether it's at work or at home or where we play, no matter how sinful the cause, it will not overcome God's purpose in your life because He is going to get her done in your life. Nothing's bigger than God. He is sovereign. You can trust Him because He's great, majestic, all-powerful, sovereign. But you can also trust Him because He's what? Huh? Good. Good. He is morally good. He is absolutely pure. The Bible says, in Him is light and there is no darkness uh, at all. There's no dark side to God. Now think about this for a second. If all we knew about God is that He was all-powerful and sovereign, we might have a reason to be afraid of Him. Right? Somebody that big, somebody that powerful, but we, we don't know whether they can be... If he's just big and great and majestic, we might have reason to be fearful, but we have absolutely no fear because he is good. He says he is good all the time, and all the time God is good. That's why we say that little axiom there. Uh, his power is always wielded with perfect love and goodness. I've had people in great suffering, and I understand this statement. I might say it myself sometime before I die, depending on how I'm suffering. But Phil, and you, in, in, as one of our Stephen ministers, you may have heard this too. Some of our other Stephen ministers have. When something terrible happens in the life of someone, they'll say, well, God let me down. One thing you know for certain, no, he didn't. No. He's good. He's never let you down. He may not have behaved like you wanted him to, but he knows what's ultimately good for you and me and how things are going to work out in this life and the next. He's never let you down. He is good and you can trust him. The great theologian J.I. Packer wrote these words, He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there's no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. Now, let me see your eyes a second. Your view and understanding of God will have a profound effect on how much you trust him. And whether you do. If you do not believe that he is both powerful and good, trust will be an elusive thing for a God who is loving but not powerful is just kind of like a heavenly Santa Claus who means well but just can't always help you out. Yet a God who is all-powerful and all-good brings great security, hope in this life and in the next. And in the next. And so you see then... When we trust God, when interpersonal conflict comes up, we begin to see conflict not as some random accident, but as an assignment from God that will give you the chance 
to glorify him, to serve other people, and to grow spiritually. And grow spiritually. See, well, isn't there some other way we can get those things? <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe, but conflict comes. Conflict comes. So instead of giving in to the pressures to, uh, produce, to, that produced by conflict and taking matters into our own hands, we trust God. We choose by trusting God and His grace and power. Look at Proverbs 3 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So here we go. When conflict comes, first of all, we, uh, we trust him. We, we, we glorify him by trusting in him. Second, we glorify him by, write this down, obeying him. Obeying him. By faithfully obeying his commands. Now remember, we, we are to obey God, but as Christians, the, the, the rules don't change, but the reasons do. We don't obey God to earn our salvation. We don't obey God because we're, you know, he's going to get us. We obey God out of love and gratitude for the great salvation he's provided us through Christ. It's an act of worship. He said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will obey my, what I command. When his love is in our hearts, we love him out of uh, gratitude. We find that the, our desire is to please the one who loves us so uh, uh, dramatically. And this is one of the most powerful ways to glorify God in the midst of conflict. Every time we encounter conflict, we have the opportunity to, regardless of our feelings, to obey God out of love and trust, and it brings great glory to him, and it has the desired uh, effect. So here's how, how do you glorify God in conflict? By trusting in him, by obeying him. And here's the third thing, by imitating Christ, by imitating him, by seeking what you say, what do you mean by that? Well, by seeking to maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. You know, the gospel, because of the, the God, God treated us so marvelous, marvelously in, by the gospel of the work of Jesus dying in our place and rising from the dead, the implication is that we will be the same to other people. Listen to this. If he, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 tells us, uh, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Well, what did Christ do for us to imitate? Well, look at Ephesians 4.32 on the screen. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. That's how we imitate Christ in conflict. So read it out loud with me. Ready? Look at the screen. Deep breath. Here we go. And be kind. Whoop. Back up. There we go. There we go. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We are in Christ. We are doing what he did. This is what he did as he was to us. Therefore, because I'm in him, I will be this way to other uh, people. And when you focus on, in conflict, on trusting Christ and obeying Christ and imitating Christ, you find that you will... Not be peace faking, not be peace breaking, but you will be peace making. And so imagine with me, rather instead of running away and just going through life, the older you get, if you run away, you're just, you're just painting yourself in a relational corner until you become, by the time you're an old person, if you make it that long, 
You're just an old, lonely person because you just keep marking people off the list, just keep running away from them. Imagine rather than running away, imagine rather than lashing out like your habit has been all your life. You take the time in faith to choose to glorify God by trusting in Him, obeying Him, imitating Him. Ask yourself, okay, Lord, how can I please and honor you in this situation? That's what I did just toward the end of the week, two different times. (sighs) Okay, Lord, how do I glorify you in this? I knew immediately what to do. It's how you know what to do. Well, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. And so some of you might be asking, well, Keith, how do I get the power to respond this way? Well, first of all, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, he has written his law on your heart. He has given you his Holy Spirit. Listen to this in Psalm 37, verse 31. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. And so if you're already a Christian, what you do is you deny yourself each day and throughout the day and instead, moment by moment, yield yourself to the control and the direction and the empowering of God the Holy Spirit. In faith, believing, remember what he says in Philippians chapter 2 that we quote so often. Some of you have heard me say this 20,000 times. It is God who is at work in you both to desire and do what pleases him. Trusting, I'm trusting that you are putting it in me both to, to be at work in me both to, to enable, both to motivate and enable, both to desire and to do what pleases you in this rather than what I would naturally do. And so we will begin by being prayerful. So pray with me. Those of you Christians here, you're already, you're in some personal conflict. Some of it's like some of mine, it's, we're into double-digit years and still not reconciled. I've got some of those. You do too. Some of them, it's on the way to church today. But you're in it. Let's begin by being prayerful and let's ask for His grace and power in prayer. You repeat this prayer after me, dear Lord. In response to your love and in reliance on your grace, I commit myself to respond to this conflict by choosing to glorify you. Help me so that instead of focusing on my own desires or dwelling on what others may do to me, I will seek to please and honor you by trusting you in your wisdom, power, and love. By obeying your commands. And by imitating your loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. I am trusting you right now to empower me to do these things. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you are not yet a Christian, you might be asking this question. But Keith, I'm not yet a Christian. What do I do here? Well, it all begins by becoming a Christian. It all begins by praying to receive Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity to do so because apart from Him, you're left on your own.
You're left on your own with no power to do this. Now, because some of you in this room, there's some things going on in your heart and soul and in your feelings that you might not recognize, and I want to get really clear with you what could be happening to you right now. In Jesus Christ, God the Father did something for all of us that we cannot do for ourselves. He left heaven and came to earth as a man, yet was without sin. He went to the cross. That's why we have a cross in here. He went to the cross in our place. And while he was there, God arranged somehow for him to take the burden and the penalty of all of our guilt and shame and sin on himself. He took credit for it. And he paid the full price for it. Instead of us having, he atoned for it and satisfied his very own demands of justice by doing so, so that we would not have to. And then he rose from the dead and defeated the power of death, proving that he was who he claimed to be and could do what he claimed he could do uh, and had the power to forgive sin and redeem sinful people like you and me, cancel the debt of our sin and give us new and eternal life. Now, some of you are hearing this for the first time. You may need more information. Keep coming. Others of you may be ready. You are now ready to say to Jesus, I am ready to turn from my sin. I'm ready to give up control of my life and my eternity. I'm ready to place my active trust in you, Jesus, and what you accomplished when you died on the cross and rose from the dead and ask you to save me, forgive my sin, make me a part of your family, give me your care and supervision in this life and a home in heaven when I die. Some of you are ready to do that. And if you are ready to do that and you do that, you are about to be transformed transformed by the amazing grace of Christ like so many of us in this room already have. And while we sang so joyfully about it at the beginning of this uh, worship service, you begin to live, uh, have his past forgiven, a home in heaven, and live under his wonderful care and supervision in this life daily. Become a new, a brand new person. A brand new person. If that's you, And you say to me right now, uh, I want to give my life to God through Jesus. I want to do what you said. I want to turn from my sin and give my life and eternity to Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand in this room all over the place? Anybody in the balcony? I'm looking in the lights. Yeah, it's okay because you're safe in here. There you go. Who else? Who else? Who else? Okay. Well, then let's pray. Let me lead you through this prayer, and you do that very thing. So pray with me, and those of you here who are already followers of Jesus, pray for them. Let's pray. Make this a prayer from your heart, dear Lord Jesus. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Now take control of my life in eternity. And I trust you to make me the kind of person, turn me into the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Amen, amen. Church, would you celebrate with these folks? Would you? Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, look at me. There's one more thing I want you to do, one more thing that's necessary, and that is this. Jesus commands that we confess him before men. There are no secret followers of of Jesus. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, 
Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus even instituted the way that he wants us to celebrate publicly our personal faith. And it's called baptism. Christian baptism. And uh, we are prepared to help you celebrate your Christian baptism today. Some of you uh, prayed to receive Christ years ago, but you've never gone. You've never followed this act of obedience and celebration. Uh, we are prepared to help you this morning. Just and when the service is over, just outside the front doors of the auditorium on the patio to the right is our baptism area. We have an outdoor baptistry there. We have changing clothes. Allison, would you hold up that bag under your chair there? And uh, st- stand up and just kind of wave that around a second for me. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. We, we have, uh, we have uh, a bag that's got a change of clothes, all you need. Uh, we've got towels out there. We've got changing areas. Um, we baptize people after every service at Dogwood. People celebrate people going public with their, uh, their faith. Our baptism team is out there waiting for you. They're prepared for you. And uh, they will help you. And so soon, you got plenty of time as soon as the service is over. You just take your communication card, go right there, and uh, we'll help you. And several of us will join and celebrate with you in your Christian baptism. So pray with me. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you've made a way for us to know you. Now help us as we are reconciled to you. Help us be reconciled to others. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977 or click the give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.